We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. inaugural episode of Realtree Rebels. I'm Chase Parm and I'm your tour guide for this weekly podcast with Realtree, Tyler Jordan, Bill Jordan, two huge instrumental parts, the um, founder of Realtree and his son Tyler, and getting this going and really uh, the trust in me to bring this to you every single week. I'm humbled, I'm thankful to be a part of it. I think we've got a cool podcast coming your way again every single Tuesday, starting with this morning. And no better way to do it than the origin story of Realtree. Bill Jordan, the founder of Realtree, he joins us today for about an hour conversation on uh, how he got started in his businesses, what Ole Miss means to him. Obviously, an Ole Miss alum, former Ole Miss football player, and now Realtree, a, a very instrumental part of the Ole Miss family as well, have been for a, a, a number of years. So some great stories coming up from Bill today on the first episode. And in future episodes, we've got great guests. Um, Tyler and I are going to talk outdoors. We're going to talk Realtree. We're going to talk family. We're going to talk football. We're going to talk so many different things over the course of uh, these episodes. Just, again, really excited about it to uh, to have the chance to bring you these stories, to bring you these uh, interviews and conversations Realtree, uh, something, a, a brand that has been um, a memory in my life for a long time too. You know, it, it's obviously we're gonna we're gonna highlight the Jordans and we're gonna let them, you know, introduce you to their friends and the people that they have come in contact over uh, the decades of business in the uh, the outdoor space. But it means a lot to me too. Um, between my my father and uh, memories that I have and different things, Realtree has been uh, something that. It's been synonymous with a lot of my memories for most of my life. So I really appreciate the time with it, with Bill today that he will uh, bring you again just so, some great stories, some stories I've never heard, and let you understand uh, how they got to where they are today. I mean, again, a lot of Ole Miss, a lot of football, a lot of uh, different people that are very interesting with some great stories over the course of this podcast series. So we'll go ahead and get into it now. Again, every single Tuesday, Real Tree Rebels. Brought to you here on MPW Digital and for the inaugural episode. Again, just made all the sense in the world. Let's go to Realtree founder, Bill Jordan. Bill, I'm grateful for your time today, for your uh, trust in us over the course of this project we've got working on. I've been talking to Tyler a lot here over the last few uh, few weeks, and we thought, who better to start it off? The founder of Realtree, the person who got the uh, 
you know, the old Miss legacy for the family going as well. So I really appreciate your time this morning, Bill. Well, I tell you, it's an honor to be here. And I tell you, it's real easy to talk about old Miss and, and our association with the school for as a family and be on a personal basis. So I uh, appreciate you having us. You know, athletics is what tied that in. I obviously played football at Ole Miss. I'm going to get in a lot of outdoors and, and real tree things as well, but let's, let's kind of start there. What was your uh, life like growing up from a sports standpoint? What sports did you play? And kind of lead me through high school to the point of you had to pick a college. Well, you know, ever since I was young, my dad was uh, an athletic type person and got me involved in sports like a lot of kids an early age. And, uh, you know, I did the normal stuff, you know, little league and baseball and football and, and basketball and, as I, I got older, uh, I stayed with those sports all the way into high school. And, you know, played all three, ran track as well. But that's not uncommon. You know, you think uh, whatever, whatever. But, uh, you know, back in the day, you know, there was no social media. You know, it was about sports. And so uh grew up uh, being around sports all my life. My dad actually played football in college himself way back in the day at Birmingham Southern, in, you know, in Alabama. And so having a sports background, my family obviously got me uh, in, into the sports aspect. So you're going through high school, you play multiple sports. When do you realize, hey, I'm good enough to play in colleges, colleges that are interested? And what was that situation like for you? Well, you know, like a lot of kids, you know, back in the day, you know, the uh, football thing was coming uh, to the forefront. And uh, I was I was surrounded and played with some very good uh, uh high school athletes, you know, that we came through the seventh and eighth grade together and we stayed together all the way through high school and, you know, kind of a unique situation back in the day at our hometown, we were the largest region, you know, for the state, it was three A at the time. And I played at Columbus high here in Columbus, Georgia. And, uh, we had seven kids off my high school team signed division one scholarships. So kind of even unique in the day's world, even, uh, to have that many, uh, you know, division one type prospects. So, uh, we lost the state championship finals, uh, 14 to seven. I remember like it was yesterday, we went undefeated all the way through. And, uh, but you know, you know, when I got into the freshman sophomore, I actually gave up baseball and baseball was maybe one of my better sports, but it was just hard to fit in, you know, to do the football, uh, do basketball. I was captain of our basketball team, not a big deal there, but very involved in it and, uh, you know, ran track as well. So I kind of settled in on, in on those three. So who'd you hear from? Even I guess when did the Ole Miss relationship start? At that point, it would have been Johnny Vault. I mean, how did how did that recruitment take hold? And when did uh, who else was kind of in on you at that moment, Bill? Yeah, again, like a lot of kids, you know, schools came looking at our team. We we had a very good uh, football team, undefeated. And even going back to my junior year, I had uh, good statistics my junior year, and uh, colleges started coming and visiting, watching you play, just like uh, other schools. And it didn't hurt either that we had other Division One prospects on our team. So obviously we got a lot of looks from a lot of different colleges. And uh, so, you know, when I was being recruiting, uh, being recruited, uh, one of our coaches back in the day was Johnny Kane. He was a running back coach at Ole Miss at the time. And, uh, you know, obviously came and, and saw us and looked at us. And, uh, you know, uh, I was having a good year, my senior year. Our team was. Uh, but, you know, I was re being recruited by a lot of other schools as well. And, really had no intention to go into Ole Miss. You know, I mean, uh, back in the day, Bruce Newell, if we remember going back in the archives, Bruce Newell was a quarterback for the varsity. But I, it was intriguing. Ole Miss had great football teams back during that era when I was in high school. I was intrigued by Ole Miss, but really had no intentions about going. So uh, uh, once I made the visit, then obviously that pendulum swung a little bit, and, and I really started liking the school. 
Yeah, tell me about that visit. Before you do, I mean, what what do you know about Ole Miss? I mean, obviously, media is different at that point of time, and you know they had a lot of success through the fifties and sixties. I mean, what what is sort of your mindset, and who? I mean, had I told Bill Jordan that day before he took the visit, where do you think you were potentially leaning to go to a school? I mean, who do you think finished second, or who else was in that thing? Well, you know, uh, you know, we had Alabama, you know, right here, Auburn, mm-hmm. we had Clemson, which uh, I wanted to play in the Southeastern Conference. But, you know, uh, you know, pretty much early on, I tried to narrow my focus down to five or six schools. And, uh, and again, Ole Miss was only on the intriguing side of it. And I took an official visit and kind of an interesting story. Every kid is, uh, uh, gets recruited different ways. And it's up to the school to kind of find out that kids and the families likes and dislikes. And that was the case with me. But, you know, back in the day, we used to handwrite and do a, a questionnaire. And on every questionnaire, it would ask the questions you just said, you know, what other sports you play, this, that, and the other? What do you like, dislikes, uh, affiliation with this or that? And but one of the questions on every questionnaire that I got from all the colleges, what are your hobbies outside of sports? And so immediately, me being an outdoor uh, family person, and my dad had a small farm, was hunting and fishing. So that was my top two things right there was hunting and fishing. And, of course, uh, looking back on it, I didn't think a whole lot about it, filling it out, but – they were trying to find out everything about me that they could. And I tell this story, which is a true one. Uh, I went to the freshman game, uh, uh, and I, well, I'll get back to that. But they, when I hit campus, they took me out to Sardis Reservoir. Hmm. Before I even checked into the hotel that afternoon, on early Friday afternoon, and I, we went out to Sardis, and I guess the observation place out there, I saw about eight to 10,000 ducks, geese. And on the way out there, probably saw nine to 10 different deer cross the road in front of us. And they hit my hot button right off the get-go. I ain't even <laughs> the football game. I ain't even <laughs> the campus yet. And so I said that going, okay, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of liking this. Alabama didn't show me this. You know, when I went to Auburn, they didn't show me this. So they they hooked me, you know, hook, line, and sinker, the old saying. And and all of a sudden I'm saying, Oh, this this is this is pretty cool here. Well, I went and did that, saw lots of ducks, geese, Sars Reservoir, and you heard all these stories how good fishing was back mm-hmm. at the time. And I was a big bass fisherman. And so, you know, they, they had me hook, line, and sinker, not knowing I was getting caught at the time. And so we did all those things. And then uh, we checked in the hotel, the freshman team. I, I played so long ago, Jason. It was, uh, uh, you know, we had freshman teams. And so I went to a freshman football game, not knowing any player, not knowing the Mississippi history of players. Uh, and I went and they played Vanderbilt at home there in Hemingway. And so I sat in the stands with a lot of other recruits that were in there. An Ole Miss freshman team beat Vanderbilt freshman team 80 to 8. 72-point difference. The starting quarterback threw like four or five touchdown passes. The backup quarterback, you know, two or three passes. Third-team quarterback that came in threw two or three passes. So I'm sitting there going, you know, this team throws the ball. I'm a wide receiver. Well, little did I know, I did not know these players. I didn't know them by name. I wasn't an in-state guy. Social media wasn't around. But the starting quarterback for the freshman team was Archie Manning. He did not have a clue who Archie Manning was. And so all I knew was the boy could run. He could throw. I like what, what I saw. I'm a wide receiver. I just saw eight to 10,000 ducks and geese. I saw some deer cross the road. And all I hear is how good fishing is, you know, in Sardis Reservoir. So – all of a sudden, I'm going, okay, that, that's that's pretty cool here. And then the next day, Ole Miss, with Bruce Newell, quarterback, I, I'm going to try to remember that score. 
I think Ole Miss won 28 to seven, you know, on campus. And I think Bruce threw a couple of touchdown passes in that game. So, you know, Ole Miss knew what they were doing. They, they, uh, they, they had me hook, line, and sinker. And, uh, so I, I came home and told my dad about, about the trip. And, uh, like we always visit about schools when I'd come back home and I told him how much I was impressed with the school. And, uh, and so, you know, I started, uh, you know, piquing my interest in Ole Miss. Became friends with Archie, obviously, quickly. Um, we'll get to a lot of players over the course of this podcast. We'll talk a ton of Ole Miss. But do you remember your first time meeting him? Do you remember remember your first time with Archie? You know, uh, it probably would scare most people. But the first day I was on campus, uh, you know, I, I, you and I talked about that here the other night, uh, was nervous. You know, the, the freshmen mm-hmm. were freshmen. And uh, back in the day where freshmen are playing, they're part of the team from the get-go, you, we had a, we played we stayed at Miller Hall, you know, it was where uh, you know uh, all the football team was, and we had a freshman wing there. Well, I was scared to death. You know, I'd, I'd come across country my first day on campus, scared to death. There were some big old boys on that football team at the time, and so uh, you know, I really and truly, I can't remember the first time I met Archie because the freshman team, you know, we we had our own coach. Eddie Crawford was our coach. Uh, you know, there when I first came in, Wobble Davidson, you know, before uh, Eddie was uh, a head coach. So I really and truly can't remember the first time and I really sat down and had a meaningful conversation with Archie. As we went through our freshman year, of course, Archie was having a, a banner year as a sophomore, you know, at Ole Miss. And, uh, you know, even though the freshman team was on the fields, we didn't work out with the varsity at the time. Different, obviously, today. But, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to, when I, my sophomore year playing varsity and, and obviously spent a lot of time with him and the quarterbacks, the receivers spent a lot of time together. Uh, just, just, you know, Archie is Archie. Everything you ever hear about Archie Manning is true. Just a simply great guy. You know, it was obviously a huge recruiting pitch to Ole Miss and you, you had an, an, an outdoor mind your entire life, had an entrepreneurial mind your entire life. But what was your, your childhood like? I mean, did you hunt and fish and, you know, hunt for every type of animal? I mean, what was, what was it like just sort of growing up there? Yeah, having a dad and I had a small farm. I used to go to my dad a lot of times, and uh, for the ones of the people who have dove fields, you know, I'd go down there and help prepare the dove field, you know, during the spring and the summer, and we burn in, uh, you know, in August for the dove fields in September, and, uh, you know, our little farm had deer on it, and uh, starting to get turkeys, you know, back in the time, and my dad loved to waterfowl hunt, too, and uh, over here this far east, we certainly don't have the duck hunting that uh, Miss State of Mississippi has. But, you know, we had a lot of wood ducks, you know, on a place that my dad had permission to go hunt. So I, I grew up well-rounded in the in the, in the sports side of it, you know, forest hunting and fishing. And I uh, loved every second of it. Dad took a lot of time with me and my brother, uh, you know, both hunting and fishing. And, uh, you know, it's it just, uh, for me, it was a magical childhood. You know, I, I love playing sports. I love to hunt and fish. And. You know, I had one of those typical childhoods that uh, a lot of good quality family time. You finished up at Ole Miss football career. You had a hamstring that bothered you for a while there for most of your uh, your, your career in Oxford. You get finished, and you, you said your dad had farm, had a boat, marine company, all those different things. What, what, what was next? I mean, at that point, and you, you're done with college, where did you just decide where to go? I mean, I know at one point you had Spartan archery. You've done a, different, a lot of different things. But what was that first step once you realized, hey, no college, education, we got to move on to the real world now? Well, you know, it, it's so true. You know, for so many people that are athletes, you know, nobody wants to go off to school and, and be hurt. And unfortunately, most of the time I was there, I didn't pull a hamstring. I tore mine. And oh. uh, it was uh, – if anybody's ever had a hamstring injury, it's not the most forgiving injury in the world. And, 
Now, obviously, the treatment and stuff nowadays is a lot better than when we, we had it back in my day. But, you know, I started a few games, you know, while I was there, played in a lot of games, even my sophomore and junior year. And I'd go um, – I'd be hurt and miss several games. Same thing through my – I know I started my first three college games my senior year, got hurt, set out the next six, started the last ball game of the year. But it, it wasn't a, the, the highlight career that I was anticipating while I was there because of injuries. But – the, the all the friendships I made, you know, it's so so important that um, you know connecting with people and 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 certainly my 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 class that I had with Pete Boone and Paul Don Jay, Preston Carpenter, and then the great above with Archie and Randy Reed, George Lottahas, and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a friendship thing. And so when I got through college, you know, uh, thank goodness for all those friendships I had. Uh, I came back home to our family business. Uh, my dad was in the Marine boat business. We had two Marine boat dealerships uh, and uh, my brother was in the business as well. And then my dad had a small boat manufacturing facility in Florida. So I came back home, went in business with my family. And uh, so uh, tournament bass fish, like so many people back in the day, I used to mm-hmm. love to bass fish hunted. I was always a big bow hunter. And so, you know, being able to come back home and have the familiar surroundings of my family was a, for me, was a plus. Was it a matter of just putting something with your own stamp on it? I mean, how did you get from there to first, like you said, from with, with Spartan, and then we'll eventually get to get to real tree and advantage. But you know, how, how did that come about to have your your own company and your own stamp? Well, you know, I, I tell you, I think uh, you know, I was a younger brother, and uh, my we had a, a successful business. You know, not over the top, but it, a, a very good family business, and. You know, I, I remember having a heart heart conversation with my dad. I just felt like I wanted to try to do something on my own uh, in the hunting and fishing industry. And uh, my dad thought I was absolutely crazy, and he was probably right, uh, you know, with it. But uh, I just had a had an inner desire to try to make something of myself, start a business, didn't know if I was going to fail or succeed. And I knew I had a safety net. My dad always told me, if, if, if this doesn't work, you know, we got this for you, you know? And so my dad was very supportive as was my mom. Uh, you know, my mom played a big role in my life as well on the sports and the hunting and fishing inside. So, uh, I, I took about four or five months to look into the fishing industry, see what was available, uh, you know, from, from rods, reels, manufacturing lures. And I came to the conclusion on the fishing side, everybody can make a plastic worm. And that was going to, that's a kind of a me too product. And looking into the hunting industry, I, I being a bow hunter uh, all my life and still to this day, uh, we had military patterns to hunt with back in the day. We didn't we didn't have the real trees or, or mm-hmm. one of our competitors, friendly competitors in mossy oak and all these other patterns. So I had to hunt with uh, military patterns. And I kept thinking, you know, well, being a bow hunter, these patterns don't exactly work for me up in a, in a tree you know, for his bow hunting. So I set, set out and I sketched the first original real tree pattern. Didn't know if it's going to make it or not. Uh, liked what I saw, uh, just kept fine tuning it to, to it, it worked. I would take photos of the military patterns into same setups in a, in a tree stand, so to speak. And then I put the real tree pattern in there and the real tree pattern always won out. It, it, it visually, uh, it, it was a, it was a better fit for that hunting situation. So, I made I made the move and the decision, and of course it was a family decision with my mom and my dad as well that I would try to do something in the camouflage aspect, and uh, it, I'm glad I did. Obviously, you know you see the story everywhere, and it's when I was doing a little bit of research for this. I mean, you you, you base it off a tree in the front yard. That's correct. This pattern, you know, that was, that was a mom and dad yard. That was a house that I grew up in, and 
you know, it, it kind of interesting is today's with the technology that you have, you can do patterns so much more on a technical aspect, but uh, back in the day it was more hand-drawn art. And I've always had a little bit of ability to draw. You know, that was one of my favorite things that uh, just to draw, not great at it, but uh, I, I would, I took a picture of a tree in our yard and actually blew it up and used the lines and the cracks and crevices in it. Then I would sit down hours on end and just kind of fill in the rest with different shading and colors and try to match the trees as much as I could. And so once I did that, uh, obviously uh, I had to go to print, uh, you know, fabric and we had a lot of trouble. I was new at it. I didn't know what the questions to ask and these, uh, you know, printing mills and, and on fabric and uh, these textile industries, which I was a babe in the woods, didn't know a whole lot about it. So it was a tremendous learning curve just to learn about textiles, different fabrics, different makeups of fabrics to obviously go into a printing house and getting the pattern put on fabrics. And so that was all trial and error. There was no blueprint to follow the, uh, it, you know, there's no, there's no guidelines to say, Hey, do it this way or that way. It was all a gut feel, uh, had great advice early on from a lot of people we were associated with that I got to know. So I got a little lucky to be honest with you. What kind of utensil, you, you know, utensils were you using to draw with? I mean, what are we talking about? What, 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 what are you, what are you using? Well, I've never, I don't know if I've ever been asked that question, but I went and got art supply, you know, boards, you know, okay. if you remember the old art boards and, you know, you could t tilt it and do it. And I went and got all kind of colored markers and, and, uh, I did a lot of shading just by turning the pencil sideways and just, you know, <laughs> and shading it. In. Yeah. And yeah. If everybody's done that sometime, another on something, but, uh, you know, I got a little bit sophisticated, you know, I started getting color markers and everything and just seeing how different shades, the browns and the grays would fit in, obviously with a, you know, a little bit of what I call soft black color. So it was trial and error. And, uh, you know, uh, again, all the original real trade designs, you know, um, uh, they look, uh, antiquated right now. They, they not the technology that we have now, but I was so proud of, you know, I said, Oh my gosh, this might work, you know, not knowing it, was, it might work. But uh, it was a it was a labor of love, and and thank goodness things just happened to turn out well for us. Do you have any idea where those original sketches are at all? Any of them? You know, I do. They're downstairs in our office. Okay. Uh, I got I got some of the original prints that we did, and uh, you know, I wasn't smart enough back in the day, but some of our employees, you know, kind of kept them, and uh, a lot of them are framed up, you know, right now around the office, and so uh, just a good keepsake to. You know, I, I was one of these. I was lucky. I mean, just, I'll just say it out front. And you know, a uh, lot of lot of gut feeling, as you always talk about, and made some right decisions and made some wrong decisions along the way. But uh, but I do have some of those original drawings. You know, it's it, it's a it's kind of a cliche, but it's much easier said than done. You saw a problem, you found a way to correct a problem, and that turns into a business. When you when you were first drawing these out. Was it always within the mind of, hey, this is something that would help me and help other people? Was it almost more of a personal use thing at the beginning? I mean, now, how did you sort of scale that in your mind? Well, you know, knowing I wanted to try to do something in the business world on my own, hopefully, uh, it, it was uh, to try to make something good for me and, you know, friends of mine, obviously. But, it, it, you know, the business side of it, I was I was hoping to take it to the public and hopefully people would like it. And, you know, that was, uh, you know, for uh, – Again, I keep using the word lucky, but it's so true. But uh, I did I did research everything. I tried to find out who the top retailers were. I had to sell this idea to a lot of different companies and, and retailers around the country because they've been uh, for years had military patterns, you know, that they sold. So this was kind of basically a new concept 
uh, you know, a little bit. So, uh, I took tons of photography. I'd go shopping around. I'd take it to different retailers. I take it, to, uh, uh, you know, just trying to get an endorsement on it, see if people liked it or not. It's kind of a, a focus group, so to speak. So in 1986 at our, uh, our big trade show that we have the shot show, uh, I took the original drawings and, and also got it made into fabric and got it made into the garments and just was hoping somebody would recognize me. And so fortunately mm-hmm. that show, uh, they did. So to that point, before you got to the show, what, 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 where, where were you from concept to production prior to that? Were there any fabrics at all that were used in any capacity? Well, not really. You know, I mean, okay. it was, it was kind of a startup business basically, you know, I, I did go to a fabric mill, uh, and got two or three basic fabrics. You know, now you got literally, you know, hundreds of different substrates mm-hmm. of different fabrics, but you know, I got the basic two or three, uh, fabric substrates at the time. And I got a company to believe in me. They're saying, Hey, I think I can do this. Y'all want to go partner with me and not from the financial side, but just from the mill side and fabrics. So I had to, I had to get, develop a relationships with, uh, uh, you know, mills and then obviously with printers. And so it was a lot of trial and error. It was nothing instant. It was no instant gratification. It was a lot of things we were all learning together with, uh, you know, from the printing aspect and, and trying to find the right fabrics. So it, it didn't come just overnight. You know, it, it was something that was built on over a period of time. And, uh, you know, for people who are trying to get into business, I literally did not make money in the first four or five years. I lost money. Mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate to be able to hang on long enough till it turned. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by the the shot show and you getting that type of interest and whatnot. I mean, it's people you knew from the industry. They had seen these at any point. Or are you just booth to booth and trying to pitch people to your ideas and sell them on it and see what comes from that? Knocked on a lot of doors. You okay. know, no, nobody knew who who I was, nor should they. And uh, so, you know, I had a compelling story to tell. I felt like my story was good. Uh, you know, but a lot of it was just, uh, you know, when I first went to the shot show in 1986, uh, some major retailers that, uh, I would send them with, you know, pictures of how the pattern looked and how it worked in certain situations. And, uh, you know, three major retailers, one was a, a, a large, large retailer. One was, uh, you know, a, a retailer out of Texas. One was out of Springfield, Missouri. It's not hard to figure those those companies out, but uh, they they came by the booth. I intrigued them enough with photography and what my mission was, and and hopefully I could get interest from them. Uh, they came uh, to visit that very first day at the shot show, and uh, you know, one of the retailers saying, "Can hey, can you make you know a hundred thousand pair of pants?" And I said, "I can't make a hundred pair of pants. You know, I'm not financially able to do this." So the licensing model was built, uh, you know, that very first shot show. Uh, they went uh, and got all three retailers were doing uh, business with a company called Walls, and they were out of Cleveland, sure. Texas. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the the president and and uh, Walls came and visited me that day. Those retailers went and put a good word for me, and so the licensing model was actually uh, uh, started at the 1986 uh, show. But then I did go door to door, kind of up and down booths that were near me, just doing cold calls and telling them my story. And I had interest from certain retailers. And and uh, so that's how the licensing model, you know, really started. So you're ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with fresh brewed tea, 
packing a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol, no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering for your favorite team, when you're tailgating in the stadium, parking lot, or watching at a bar, even hosting friends at home. Twisted Tea there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating an unforgettable moments. So let's toast the unforgettable game day experiences. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, I don't know that... Everybody is aware of that, that you're a, a licensing company and that's the way it went. Did you ever consider manufacturing at any point in the company or was that working and that, that the model that you made sure you want to make as the, the, not just the primary, but the way that you did your business? Yeah, the licensing model was, was relatively, at the time. everybody does licensing now, you know, some form and in different industries and businesses, but it was the only way financially I could make sense out of it. I didn't have, a, my, my dad had passed away, unfortunately, but he never had an opportunity to see Realtree, he passed away with a heart attack, uh, you know, two years prior to me coming with Realtree. So uh, that was a one of those broken heart moments for me, but I didn't really have financial whereabouts to finance uh, making apparel. So the licensing thing with me was, was uh, uh, I had to go that model. So uh, I was very fortunate to meet a lot of good companies in those early years that believed in my story. And, and obviously the retailers, it, it took them as well. And, you know, I, I often tell people one of the hardest thing was uh, convincing the licensees, the manufacturers, then then trying to convince retailers. But one of the hardest things back in the day was trying to convince the end consumer that these mm-hmm. patterns, because they were like me, the only thing they had basically back in the days were the military type patterns. And so, uh, but you know, it had to take a lot of convincing those four or five years. And uh, but the industry took off. Uh, it uh, it it served us well. We we told a good story, and uh, it it just worked out for a lot of people. Is around those meetings and when you found a way into manufacturers, was that when the actual Realtree name was born? When did you come up with, with those cons with that concept? Well, you know, the, the name itself is kind of an interesting thing. You know, you, you try to come up with a name and, and of course I tried to make the original drawings as real as I could possibly make them. 
you know, nowadays, like I said, you know, the technology, you can do a one for one from uh, taking a picture and, 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 uh, and processing it. But, uh, you know, I would write, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and just write down names that would come to me. What do I call this thing? And, and I do have a, uh, a friend of mine that I haven't seen in a lot of years and his wife, uh, had, a, had the same concept prior to, to Realtree. And that was Jim Crumley with tree bark. And uh, tree bark was uh, kind of the originator of the, of the thought process for all of us that are out there. And so uh, I just, uh, you know, come in with those concepts and, uh, you know, uh, you know, Jim, I, I can't remember the exact year he came out with tree bark, but uh, the, the concept was there. And then of course I took it to my vision, you know, from there and introduced it in, in like I said, 1986, but no, it, it was kind of a planned deal. And, and, uh, but you don't know in life if it's going to make it or not. You know, I mean, any, any adventure that we go off into, uh, you know, I had a lot of learning to do. I didn't, I wasn't the most experienced person in the world when I was doing it. Uh, didn't have a whole lot of mentoring. My dad had passed away. Uh, he was my rock, you know, to help me in a lot of different situations. And that was gone from me. So it, it was just uh, uh, a lot of people being good to build Jordan and, and believing in the concept in real tree. What do you feel like was the tipping point? When did you feel like, hey, you got a chance for this to be a consistent, a, a long-standing company? Because, like you said, a lot of it's in consumer because they're having to switch what they put on something they trust for this hobby that they're pouring time and money into and a way of life in a lot of ways. So I would assume that there was a word of mouth build over time that, hey, these patterns work, this works, this is going to assist you in whatever way. I mean, when did you feel like, hey, maybe there is a chance that this is a consistent long-term product? Well, and, and again, you're so correct what you're saying that, you know, it took me four or five years to turn a profit and mm -hmm. uh, it was just hanging on by a thread. It's literally, you know, uh, I, I often tell this story. My mom was, uh, my dad had passed away. My mom was alive and uh, I had a house payment was four hundred and like ten dollars. Uh, I didn't have enough money to make my house payment. And so my mom on two different occasions loaned me four hundred and ten dollars to make house payments. You know, and that was after I introduced Realtree, you know, mm -hmm. so it was, it was a struggle. I mean, I, I, life was not without struggles. And, and I think one thing that I'm most uh, proud of myself, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I'm just appreciative of people believing in me. You know, my, my mom, you know, I, I, I told her, I said, mom, I will pay you back. So two different times in one year, she gave me $410 so I could stay in my house. And uh, so I did pay her back, by the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> things, things went well, but uh, just having your family believe in you and, and, and people around you was uh, instrumental for me. You talk about not making a profit for several years, and then the company started to take hold, the industry started to take hold. It wasn't too long after that that you get into the media side, the TV side, Realtree Outdoors is born. Tell me that story. I mean, how do you get from what you're talking about to TNN and ESPN2 and all these things that built there in the early 90s? Well, for the ones who are still old enough to remember uh, Realtree Outdoors on TNN, mm -hmm. uh, I'll have to give a lot of credit uh, to Jackie Bushman. Jackie Bushman uh, was one of the originators and founders of Buckmasters. And so uh, Jackie, uh, when I first came with Realtree, us being Montgomery, Alabama, here in Columbus, Georgia, we got hooked up you know, pretty early on. And so in 1986, 1987, uh, Jackie saw what we were doing and uh, they were relatively new as well, you know, with his concept. Uh, it was a Jackie kind of followed the Bass Masters for the bass fishermen out there, that model, Ray Scott being from Montgomery, Alabama as well. So here's the Buckmasters version of it. And so I got hooked up with uh, Buckmasters early on. 
felt like it could be a springboard for real tree, you know, to introduce it to the, to the hunting people and especially to the deer hunters, since it was a early on a, a tree type pattern. So getting hooked in with Buckmasters was, uh, was a very important key. And, and from that, uh, Jackie would have all kind of, uh, personalities, sports personalities in for an event in January there in Selma, Alabama, you know, a hunting lodge there. And, uh, I, I met a lot of different, uh, country singers to, to baseball players to nascar drivers and car owners in nascar so those those relationships uh were very important for me just to be around those people and you know these people like to hunt they, they these these are people in they hit a baseball further than me and you they drive a race car faster than me and you and better than me and you and and they catch passes and throw passes better and and they sing better you know, there were a lot of country singers that came through. So I made some early friendships and those people like what I did. They love the outdoors. So tying all those things together and, and making friends early on with the Dale Earnhardt, Davey Allison, NASCAR, Wade Boggs, Ben McDonald in baseball and others, uh, really kind of, these, these guys wanted to be on TV and Jackie had a TV show, Buckmasters on TNN and I went knocking on TNN doors and said, Hey, I can, I'd like to do a TV show. They took me in. That was the early springboard, just getting that publicity out there and having these profile, high profile celebrities in their own sports fields or indoor singers saying, man, I hunt. Uh, and it was good for the industry, you know, to say, Hey, I hunt, I fish. And so having them endorse Realtree early on was, a, was a, an important key. When did you, uh, when did you hunt for the first time with Dale? Dale and I and Richard Childress and Davey Allison, uh, you know, all became fast friends. They, uh, being from the South and, uh, they liked what I did. It, it wasn't a situation that they were looking for sponsorships that they, they were intrigued about the hunting knew they could go on hunting trips. Um, uh, and that friendship was really grew quick and, uh, you know, became fast friends with Dale and Richard Childress, the car owner and Davey Allison on the first NASCAR guys. And, uh, you know, we talked about hunting and, and when TNN came around, uh, you know, NASCAR was on TNN, uh, as, as was rodeo. So, uh, I, I invite them to go on hunts with us when we got TNN to say, yes, we will put real tree outdoors on TNN. It was just fun. It was just guys going out, showing their passion for the outdoors and to have Dale Earnhardt, Davey Allison, Richard Chillis, Wade Boggs and others, Ben McDonald kind of. Uh, stick up for the hunting. Hey, this is cool. I like it. I enjoy it. It was good for the hunting industry as well. Pretty natural storyteller, but what was it like being in front of the camera? I mean, how did you sort of adjust uh, when these things start airing and you're involved in it, you're becoming front facing in that way to the, to the public. I mean, what was that like for you? Different, you know, I mean, it, yeah. I, I did say that I, I was automatic great on TV and, and I don't think <laughs> I'm great on TV today. You know, just, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I like, uh, I like, you know, when you're passionate about what you do, it's, it's an easy story. If that makes sense. And you, sure. you took me outside of this and put me in some other kind of environment. I probably would fail miserably, but the hunting and fishing is an easy story to tell for me. I, like I said, we go back to my childhood growing up with it and, and then having friends and having the Dale Earnhardt's and the Wade Boggs on, on our TV show on TNN, it was an easy story for them to tell, but not only they just drove race cars faster, but they could tell a compelling story how important outdoors was to them. So it, it was, it wasn't that hard in the grand scheme of things, not saying I'm, I'm great on TV at all or, or whatever. And, and, uh, but, uh, but it was an easy story for us. 
I know this still to this day, you you know, you're just you're designing, you're confirming patterns, all you guys, new technology and everything you're you're putting out. How does your brain work in that way? I mean, are you looking to fix certain problems? Are you seeing patterns and adjusting them as how does your mind sort of work on what's next and what you guys are developing as you do it? Well, my brain will not shut down on that aspect. I think there's always a better pattern that can be made. And that's that's in anything we do, whether it be in waterfowl or, or hunting deer and turkey hunting type patterns or uh, just uh, elk, elk hunting the same way for it's out west. Uh, my mind, unfortunately, is geared just never shut down that way. I wish I could. And, and a lot of the ideas that I come up with and concepts you know, we have uh, given credit to our place here. We got a great team of designers here, and that's been something we've we've really tried to nurture and bring on other people's opinions about things and let them have the creative ability to. Uh, you know, I might spring an idea by them, but uh, they also have the flexibility to come up with their own designs and create. And so, from there, we'll sit down as a group and fine tune everything. And you know, we're it's not that, that I have a hundred percent ownership in one thing or our, or our designers. It's a collective effort together. So if we see something, hey, man, let's try this right here. Can we do this or that? Our designers are just great here. You know, they they are very open-minded. Uh, you know, we just try to create the uh, best pattern that we can for that particular hunting situation. You know, I get asked all the time. I cover baseball games for a living, football games for a living. They go, hey, this is awesome. And they go, you know, it, it, it is. I mean, they're not digging ditches. There's tons of phenomenal things inside that it is also a job have you been able to keep your love for the outdoors and hunting and even when you know it's for a video series or a tv or show or something do you still zone in there and enjoy it the same way prior to it becoming your livelihood in your life well I, i've always enjoyed like i said the outdoors and again uh I, i'm a, a lot of people may not know this but i like sharing things with people and i and i, I get just a thrill about hunting with young people and to have Tyler to, to come through in uh, the early days and seeing him on early TV when he was five, six, seven years old up until today. And my daughter, uh, very involved with the outdoors as well. And, you know, he's gone turkey hunting with us and deer hunting has got to, and, and has been successful at both. And that now my 14 year old son, we, if you, as you know, I'm an older dad here. I was, I was late in life, you know, somewhat having kids and, but my 14 year old, you know, just going outside with him and teach him how to throw a rod and a reel and, and bow hunting. Uh, that's a thrill for me to this day. You know, I don't, uh, and it should be this way. Uh, I enjoy sharing more with my kids and my family and others, uh, than maybe me personally going like I used to, uh, do I enjoy hunting just as much? Absolutely. I do, but I enjoy <laughs> it in a different way as I get older. Well, and it actually gets documented. I mean, I was kind of messing with Tyler yesterday. I'd sent him a blurb from one of your uh, TV shows that came out, I mean, maybe almost 15 years ago at this point. I don't know the exact year. It was on an ESPN uh, website page. And I'll, I'll read you the synopsis here, see if you remember it the same way he did. It says, uh, Tyler Jordan is surprised by his dad, Bill, with an elk hunt on the White Mountain Indian Reservation in Arizona. The White Mountain is known for its abundance of monster bulls, and Tyler hoping to make the best of his three-day vacation from school has a hard time passing some of the biggest elk he has seen in hopes for the looks of a world-class bull. Remember that one? I do. Okay. Well, he, said I, he, he said he I, got I, one I, of the I, biggest elks he's had. And, uh, correct. And I had to convince his mother he'd be okay missing three days of school. <laughs> so so that, that, that was, uh, you know, these opportunities don't come every day and, and especially mm. for a teenager back in the day. And, and uh, Tyler, as you know, is, is very engaged in, in the hunting aspect and, and, and all different kinds of species, but I did have to convince mom, uh, it, this is a good education for him. 
And mm-hmm. so, uh, uh, but we went, but no, that is true. I, I, we had a, a, just a great hunt. And, uh, one of our hunting, uh, partners on that, uh, on that trip was Richard Childers, you know, the NASCAR. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, of course. And Richard was on that trip as well. So we had a very enjoyable trip at uh, white mountain there in Arizona. Very successful sure. trip. There's a certain blessing in that, that you have documentation of all these things. There's videos and you, you get to experience in different ways that, you know, it's not always possible there. I mean, there is definitely a blessing in that part of it. Well, it is. I, I tell you, uh, as the older I get, as a parent, I love looking back at pictures when my kids were younger and mm-hmm. uh, be on a baseball or softball field or, or, or sports they're playing, but especially in the woods. You know, uh, it, it, you know, I think as a parent, we all try to teach our kids the best we can. I've been blessed to coach all three of my kids in Little League and loved every minute of it. And I've also been blessed to be able to take them to the outdoors and try to uh, see what the interest they have and teach them as well. And I, I think walking down memory lane as we all get older is looking back at your kids. Uh, my uh, 17 year old daughter graduates at the end of this year and out mm-hmm. of high school and goes on to her next chapter in her life as Tyler did. And my, my son that's 14, his first year in high school football is a freshman. Uh, we play this Friday night. And yeah. uh, so it's exciting times, but just to think and look, back in memory lane that you had a hand in their development and whatever it is for me is very rewarding for me and, and my wife, you know, my wife plays a major role with all three of my kids and always has. And, and I think the sentimental side of me as, as most parents is looking back at those photo albums and or reflecting back about uh, what used to be and, and what is today. And uh, those chapters always keep turning. They don't ever stop. They always keep turning. And that's the way life's supposed to be. So, I thoroughly enjoy uh, the next chapter. I look forward to the next chapter. I wish uh, I could do it all over again, but uh, but my kids are, are very important to me and my wife. Uh, most important thing in our life, of course. And I know Ole Miss important in its own way. We're going to talk a ton of Ole Miss over the course, like I said, of this uh, this podcast series here. For hopefully, it goes for a uh, for a very long time, but. I'm going to get yelled at by my listeners, but I don't at least mention this. Give me a little bit on how the collaborations ha- happened and occurred with Ole Miss. Obviously, the very popular helmets, the Wave 3, it's behind you in the video right now. I know uh, And by the time this airs, there will also be uh, a, a new item that is uh, that is announced here for uh, 2023 as well with Nike and the Grove Collective, Lane Kiffin. Um, what, what, what made that something you guys were interested in? What about this time period and this, this time in your lives made these collaborations not just possible, but something you wanted pr- to pursue? Well, I mean, you know this. Uh, I've been an Ole Miss guy ever since I was 18 years old. And, uh, you know, your family sometimes goes different ways. But my, my wife, uh, very much involved with Ole Miss, as, as you know, Tyler went going to school at Ole Miss, graduating there. My daughter's going there next year, and hopefully my 14-year-old when it comes this time. But the, uh, the, the, school, the school part, um, even as old as I am today, has been very important to, the, to our family. And, and Ole Miss is a family. You know, we, I, I just spoke about my current family, but Ole Miss is my family as well. And I've had so many great relationships out there. And, uh, I'm on two different threads with two different groups out there, former players that I played with. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody just stays in touch with each other. And and the personal touch, when we have the opportunity, the football games get us back, the baseball games get us back. And when we can, we enjoy seeing the basketball games, if it is while we're out there. So our Ole Miss family is very important to, to all of us. And the uh, getting back to, uh, uh, to where we – 
what we're doing and, and, and the helmet thing. Uh, I, you know, when I sat down with Keith Carter and, uh, obviously, um, you know, I just said, Keith, you know, you know, I got some things I think would be really interesting for the school to, to consider. Uh, there wasn't any pressure on my part, uh, in any kind of way, nor could I make the school do anything. But I said, I think at the today's world, uh, you know, the, the kids are asking for something different and we all look at Oregon, you know, we, uh, if you're a football fan at all, Oregon comes out with helmets, they change jerseys yeah. about every game, I think, and just different looks, different styles. And so the timing to, to have something in the SEC, I think was, was, it was important. And so when Keith, uh, and I and, and Lane coach Kiffin sat down with each other, we did a bunch of our, our creative people here did a bunch of different designs, uh, on shoes, you know, helmets, jerseys, uh, towels, wristbands, uh, just accessories in general. And so not knowing that, uh, that coach Kiffin would be even interested to that degree. Uh, I said, Keith said, we need to show it to him. And I said, I said, it looks good. And I didn't know Lane all that well, you know, at the time. And so, uh, we went out there on a weekend and, uh, you know, Keith said, look, we, you know, we're going to meet Lane over at the office and this, that, and the other. And I had my family out there. We were going to leave Oxford on Sunday uh, at noontime. And uh, I laugh about this. And and uh, I'm going to give uh, Coach Kiffin a lot of credit. His, his mind's in the football. And so I tell I tell uh, Keith, I said, look, I said, we can probably show him all these calves and everything we got probably in 40 or 45 minutes. He said, Bill, I don't know if we're going to get that long. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I said, well, I'm fine with that. You know, and I said, at least we'll show it. Well, I, we laid all this stuff out in front of, of, of Coach Kiffin, and you can just see his mind working. And I, I'm sitting there going, I don't know if I'm making him mad or he really likes this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's not turning his whole card over. And I'll never forget, he said, he, we got to have it. Put his fist down and say, we got to have this. He said, I want to be the Oregon of the South. He said, you mm-hmm. know, and I, okay, he liked it, you know, and, uh, so from there, you know, it all developed, uh, you know, in obviously into the helmet and, uh, and then of course the merchandise and everything, you know, going in this coming year with Nike. But I, I, I do believe, uh, you know, and I totally understand, you know, that there's, there's the, uh, people who may not want to see a change at any school. Uh, and they may like the traditional white, you know, blue helmets. And I totally get that powder blue helmet. I think we have the best uniform colors in, in the country, but I do think too, that I think coach Kiffin, role of us these today's times are a little bit different and some of these kids won't swag you know and, and that was a word he kept using in this meeting and mm-hmm. uh and i do agree with that these kids want to look different they want to stand out different and so it was an opportunity for us to do a trial basis with this helmet and uh i'm i'm proud to say which you know it got the helmet of the year in the ncaa and uh as a, I, I don't i can't tell you the number of helmets that were submitted from all the schools but again, it uh, it just kind of solidified what Coach Kiffin was saying. You know, these kids need this; they like this. So, very, very blessed, very pleased that that happened, and and I really like it for the school. I mean, obviously, it is a real tree pattern, you know, on those helmets. But uh, from the school perspective, I, I hope it helps to some degree. It's also a group effort because I mean, I, as most people know, and you and you and I were discussing uh, last week. It's it, it's a it's a dip. It's not like a sticker. Somebody's just sticking on there. There's a lot of work that goes into these helmets. A lot of uh, a lot of effort to make sure they're they're you know not just there, but done precisely correct, which is important to the brand and to your brand and to the product that you're uh, you're putting out there. 
No, it, it's 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 correct. And you know, putting that pattern on that helmet, people may think it's a decal, but it's actually a dip process. It's a very uh, tedious type process, and get everything lined up on each side of the helmet and balanced on each side. And, uh, you know, we, we, we went through several trial runs with it until we got it to, you know, like we wanted it. And, uh, I'll never forget when we, uh, showed it to coach Kiffin for the first time, it was like a wow factor. You could just see his, mm -hmm. everything click with him and, and everything we talked about, uh, you know, months earlier coming to fruition, uh, you know, it, it was, a, it was a pretty neat feeling for all of us. What did it mean to you when you see it out there on the field on a bright, sunny day? And then also after a win, they pull it off against Kentucky last year. Well, you know, uh, it, 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 I think just being a fan of Ole Miss, I like to see Ole Miss win no matter yeah. if they didn't wear helmets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but having having our helmet out there on the Kentucky game last year was, uh, you know, it, it gave you a sense of pride. And and I and I think for me, the, the with the fans and and the, and the players themselves who who uh, wanted something different, uh, I was glad to see it for the school because it did separate us from all the other schools in the Southeastern Conference. And uh, and I, I think uh, I, I do think some of our Ole Miss faithful uh, may have not have liked it, and I'm, I'm okay with that. But I think the mission that Coach Kiffin was trying to do for the school was accomplished. I'm going to drag a lot of these out of you over the course of uh, this series, but I'm, I can't let you go without at least one John Vault story. And I'm going to tie it into what we've been talking about our entire topics. Um, he was indirectly involved in your first successful uh, deer bow hunt. I shouldn't have told you that story the other day. You know, I, 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 everything you, not, you said, I, I didn't turn a recorder on, but it was all going in the catalog. Bill. Yeah, it's you, all, were, you all might have not brought this up. No, it, you know, I, I was, uh, I came through an era out there with a lot of friends and we were, I was fortunate enough to, I, I, I committed to Ole Miss, but also committed to John Vault back in the day when I was mm -hmm. 18 years old and to the program. And uh, if, for the ones of us who can think back in the early days that, that may not know a lot about Coach Vault, one of the most remarkable people I've ever met, uh, a daddy figure, if there ever was one, you know, going off to school, uh, was just just a good guy, you know, all the way through. And he was one of those type coaches that you played for. You didn't want to disappoint him, you know, at anything. And so, uh, and that was the same sentiment with our teams. And we were fortunate enough to come through with Archie. And obviously, you know, we had some Sugar Bowl wins in there and ranked nationally and number one team in the nation there for several weeks till Archie got hurt. But, but Coach Vault was just a, was a kind of a go-to guy. And, and my wide receiver coach back in the day was Bob Tyler, who later became, you know, head coach of, you know, Mississippi State later and, but still loved Ole Miss. And, uh, so Bob Tyler was my wide receiver coach. Well, I, we talked earlier about my hamstring and I, I did tear it. And so the, I think it was our third or fourth ball game of the year. We played University of Alabama and it was away. And so I had to stay home for treatment. You know, I mean, they, uh, whirlpool, ice, everything in between. And so, uh, I'd gotten a new com, I mean, not a compound bow, but a recurve bow that year. And a lot of my teammates, and I won't, I won't, uh, throw them all on the bus, but one of them was Randy Reed. Uh, we went, we had a, we had our recurve bows and, and we actually shot our bows at Miller Hall in the back. You couldn't do that today. No. In any so several of us who got bows, we, we would be shooting our bows compound. I mean, our recurve bows at the back of Miller Hall where we lived. Well, it was bow season and, uh, I had a torn hamstring and I was left home with a couple of other players to rehab and go through all the treatment on, on, uh, you know, Friday and Saturday and again on Sunday morning. Uh, and I had this new boat and our dorm coach 
for all of us who, who had him was Billy Mustard. And so his son, Bill, was in around my age, and he was a hunter as well, hunter and fisherman. And Coach Mustard uh, also, uh, uh, you know, fished and hunted. So that Saturday, that Friday afternoon, team's gone away. We're playing Alabama, and it dorms empty, and, you know, I'm planning to go deer hunting the next day and uh, with my new bow. So I do go bow hunting on Saturday morning, as faith would have it. Uh, I shot my very first deer with a bow. I'm ecstatic. I'm climbing the tree stand with, with a bad hamstring, but I forget about all that. Get my first deer. I have our dorm coach's son with me on that hunt. He helps me with the deer and getting him back to town. Well, later that day, Alabama beats us, beats Ole Miss. I'm as happy as I can be. Not about the loss, but about my deer. That's all I mm-hmm. can think of. My, I, I did this. I did this. So the team comes back. We have a loss. So on Sunday nights, uh, we'd go, we'd have dinner at, there at Miller Hall, and then the team would all come together, and we'd go through the, the yesterday's game and what we did good, what we did bad, and we'd have breakouts. And so Bob Tyler's my wide receiver coach. Before we got into the meetings, he came up to me and he said, uh, Bill, he said, Coach Vault wants to meet with you after these meetings. And I'm going, what does Coach Vault want to see me about? I didn't play yesterday. I'm hurt. But I sat there, I can remember it like it was yesterday, going through that meeting nervous. Why is Coach Vault wanting to talk to me? And my my wide receiver coach is telling me, you know, giving, delivering the message. So anyway, the meetings break up. I'm nervous. I stay back. Coach, coach Tyler's with me. And it's just me, Coach Tyler, and Coach Vault. And so Coach Coach Vault, everybody leaves. And he looks at me and said, What'd you do yesterday? And I go, well, coach, I stayed here and uh, Friday I went to rehab and whirlpool and ice and everything in between and uh, did the same thing, you know, yesterday being Saturday. And he said, what else you do? And I'm going, he knows, he knows I went hunting somehow. And I'm afraid to say I am nervous as nervous can be. <clears throat> I don't want to disappoint this man. Bob Tyler, my wide receiver coach is looking at me as well. And I go, uh, well, I, I went to rehab, and I, I said, Coach, I went this morning again. And he said, no, what did you do yesterday outside of that? I know he knows. And I guess some of the other players, it got out somehow. Uh, either Coach's son went with me, told his dad, mm-hmm. and dad told Bob Tyler. Bob Tyler tells Coach Fowler, Coach, I, I went deer hunting yesterday. And he said, why would you do that when we you're supposed to be doing treatment? I said, Coach, I went through treatment. He said, put his finger up in front of me. He said, I'm gonna tell you right now, I bet that's this never is gonna happen again, is it? I said, No, sir. I'm scared to death. He said, All right, how big was your deer? <laughs> and I, I go, he let me off the hook. Well, Coach Vault was a hunter. A lot of people don't know that, but he was interested in how big this deer was. I I, I was nervous. I didn't know how to answer him. I said, Coach, I, I got my first buck ever with a bow yesterday. He said, I'm glad for you, but never do it again. I said, yes, sir. So, but Coach Vault let me off the hook a little bit. How big was the deer? Seven-pointer. Okay. Gotcha. It, was, it was a Boone and Crockett, as <laughs> far as I was concerned. It, was, it wasn't a big deer for us deer hunters out here, but uh, but it was my first deer ever with a bow, and, and that was out near Sardis Reservoir, you know, there in Oxford. So, uh, I have that memory th- that I can share for a long time, but uh, but it, it was a good one. Coach Vault was a good, great guy. Yeah. 
Well, I'm really excited about what's ahead. Again, tons of uh, tons of stories with Ole Miss, hunting, outdoors, really all the celebrations that uh, you and your company and your family are uh, proud of and what makes uh, makes you guys up every day. So, again, really appreciate the trust in me to tell these stories. We'll go through it over the course of uh, football season and hopefully beyond as well. And there was no better way, no uh, other correct way than to start with you today, and I really appreciate the time. Well, let me tell you something. I certainly appreciate that. And I think people who might be tuning into this in, in future episodes uh, are going to have uh, have a pleasant surprise with other guests and, you know, friends of ours that are out there in Oxford. And uh, I think you'll see some hopefully players and uh, possible coaches on here and and others and people in the, in the uh, sports world as well. So I think you and Tyler have done a great job trying to line up a few guests uh, that I think the viewers will be very interested in hearing from. So it's going to be fun, going to be an exciting time, and we will get with you again next week, again, these uh, weekly as we move forward. So that was Bill Jordan, owner and founder of Realtree. I'll be back with you again very soon. We will be back next Tuesday for another episode. We dip into uh, professional sports for our guests next week on episode number two. In the meantime, check out Realtree.com, um, a website with tons of different things. For your uh, outdoor needs, also got some great recipes. We're going to highlight those on social media and on and on RebelGrove.com and MPW Digital in the coming days as well. So a lot of stuff. Realtree.com, check that out. Again, thanks to uh, Bill, thanks to Tyler, thanks to the entire Realtree family for uh, agreeing to let me tell these stories over the course of uh, these weekly podcasts. And that was a great one to start off with uh, Bill and his story to this point, uh, the, the, the story of Realtree and how Ole Miss and many other things are, are intertwined inside that. So that was episode number one. Again, number two, we will uh, have a great guest already recorded, set up for that. We'll be back next Tuesday for, um, for the second episode. So in the meantime, take care, and we'll talk to you very soon.